Hello, Internet, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Power of the Playbill. I'm Braden Henselka, and we're going to have a great time. So, Power of the Playbill, what is it? You may be wondering. So, what we do here, um, in each episode, we'll break down a play and explore every part of it. And we're going to look at things like the origins of the story, the people who made it, and to what it is today, how those people and the play, have, have they, how have they impacted society, and anything else we find along the way. Um, this is the first episode, and hopefully first of many, many. I know this first season, uh, like I said in the trailer, if you've listened to it, we're going to try to do 10 episodes and then see where things go on to there. Just depends how many listeners we get and how much people love it. So, yeah, but I am not alone today. today. No, sir. So let's introduce our guest. You know her for being a Marvel fanatic. She loves Umbrella Academy and has a wonderful personality. It's Rebecca Cosper. That's basically his nice way of saying I'm a solid three out of ten. No, not 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 a three out of ten. More like a a good five point six. Oh, that that was so sweet. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, so yeah, hello, welcome. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for coming on. It's great to be here. Um, so today we're doing rent. So yeah, we're doing some rent, and this is the best song on the soundtrack. Oh yes, and the most iconic, and for some the most annoying. Oh yes, for sure. Oh yes, but it is great. This play is one of my favorites, and it's why we're starting out with it. And there's so much to get into it. Um, do you have any personal background with this story, with this play? So I stumbled across a little bit of backstory for me. I am a loser. All right, I have no social skills. So I used to listen to Broadway just all the time because it was a great outlet. I love music and Broadway always has, you know, great stories. Um, I discovered Rent because I actually got hooked on Wicked and started looking into Adina Menzel and saw she was in Rent. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a really, really good play. So then I got hooked on Rent. My mother still does not like that I love it so much. <laughs> Thinks it's going to, you know. Corrupt the mind. Oh, yeah. Joke's on you, mon- uh, Mama. It's uh, already been corrupted. So Been there, done that. Go team. Go team. Woo. So, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. So, we'll start off with some little fun facts about this play. Mm-hmm. So, the original cast was paid $305 a week. and Yeah, that's it. Ouch. For the New York Theater Workshop production. So just putting it on, they had, they had a salary of $305 a week, which in New York, good luck. <laughs> That'll get you a nice cardboard box. Yep, and maybe some crackers. Maybe. A couple Sharpies so you can make signs. You got that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Another fact is that Daphne Rubin Vega, the lady who plays Mimi, also calls her right knee Mimi, which is interesting. Um, it's a little odd. A little odd, a little... Um, Brave, it's brave. We'll call Very it. Brave. We'll call it brave. We'll go with that. Yeah. Um, Adam Pascal, Daphne, Jesse L. Martin, and Adina Manzel. Fun fact: for all this, for the research purposes only, went to strip clubs during rehearsals. I'm sure it was for research. For research, research only. Yeah, that's what we're gonna go yeah, with. How did they afford to get into strip clubs on a 300 and you say 305 or 350? 305. 305 budget for the week. I want to know that. Um. My guess, um, they didn't pay their rent. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Their their rent. They actually actually they lived at the strip club. Fun fact. No, that's not true. That, don't, that's don't how they check. got enough money don't, to. Yeah, don't fact check us. Yeah, that's how that's their money. Yeah, three hundred and five dollars was from the New York Theater Workshop, and the rest of their living was from the strip club that yes. they went to. Yep. Don't fact check us because that'd be not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so before rent, Daphne and Freddie Walker Brownie did a, a, a problem. If I, by the way. At any point in this musical, if I mispronounce names, it's because I'm an idiot and I'm terrible with names. So we're just going to go with it. But anyways, those people, they did a musical version of Where's Waldo together during the summer before starting Rant. So they knew each other before going into it. Another fun fact, Jonathan Larson's, his songs were his sister's kids lullabies while they were um, making the musical. So Larson's sister, Julie, said on the panel... And at the time that Larson was writing Rent, she lived on the West Coast. Her brother was often up late at night writing. By the time he finished the song, it was too late to call his East Coast friends. So he rang up her and she picked up the phone and say, he said, hey, listen to this. See what you think. And the songs became lullabies for Julie's kids growing up, which is really cool. I'm kind of jealous of not being one of those kids. Anyways, moving on. Another fun fact. The life support uh, little program they had there is based on a real HIV support organization called Friends Indeed. So Cy O'Neill, co-founder and president of Friends Friends in Need, met Jonathan Larson when he attended meetings with his friends affected by the AIDS crisis. And he said, or she said, sorry, he was so focused. He never spoke in the group. I just noticed him because of the energy he was putting off in the group. And Larson sent her a demo of the music he was working on. For the show based on this group, which would become Rant. O'Neill never listened to it. Later on, just before the first performance in the New York Theater Workshop, Larson invited her to speak to the cast at rehearsal. She didn't want to go in, but drived herself there. And at rehearsal, she heard none of the score. First time O'Neill heard any of the music was at an early performance. And she was stunned by No Day But Today. Because friends indeed used No Day But Today as a phrase. And the whole thing. So it was really, really cool how like mind blown she was. Um, and then last but not least, fun fact. Mel B, Spice Girl Mel B, Wanna Be Mel B, played Mimi from 2004 to 2005. And I did not know that before looking this up. So I was like, I need Whoa. to see that bootleg copy. I know, right? I, I want to see If You Want to Be My Lover on Broadway playing Mimi. You got some scary spice. I want some scary spice. Mimi. Yes. And if you think about it, the role really fits her. Like her personality. She could easily, I would think, do that. I just never knew that. And I was like, I want to see this really bad. I need that in my life. For real. But any other facts that you know about this before we move on? Um, so pretty much everyone, like, tried to pass on doing rent. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever the panel was meeting, a constant theme throughout it was, um, that, Rent happened in a world before Rent. So basically, um, no one knew what this was before it happened. It was an off-Broadway show by an unknown guy, you know, doing a short little run. So uh, the casting director, he tried to pass on it. He's like, yeah, no, I really don't want to do this. Um, but thankfully, this, you know, musical came about. It's been great. Yeah. Well, we're going <laughs> to dive into it. Um, so, like I said, we're diving into Rent, if you haven't figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, this hit play, it went on to win four Tony Awards, including Best Musical, six Drama Desk Awards, including Best Musical, and a Pulitzer Prize for Drama. 
and this is one of five musicals that have both won Best Musical and Pulitzer Prize together, which is just a little bit saying how great this musical is. So, it opened on Broadway in 1966, or not 66, 1996, because time, (laughs) (laughs) and has impacted the lives of of really a lot of people. Um, It's based on the classic, God, I am bad with names, Puccini opera La Boheme, like the song, but the musical is set in a dingy, disheveled loft apartment in New York's East Village and depicts young artists struggling to celebrate life in the shadow of drugs, poverty, and AIDS. Um, and that was that was a quote from Jonathan Windorhorn from Rolling Stones. Um, and he also goes on to say that Larson's score blends pop, dance, salsa, rhythm, blues, gospel, and rock music, while his characters are an update of those of Puccini's. Rafaldo, a lovelorn poet, is resurrected in the punk rocker Roger. Marcello is the painter, becomes Mark the, the videographer. Mimi trades tuberculosis for HIV in both productions. He noted that the main characters are threatened with eviction and burn the written work to stay warm. Which I feel like, it is listen, looking into the play, that really is a part they go over really quickly at the very beginning. Like They don't have any remorse or anything when they're just like, yep, yep here's all my songs, and here's all my work, and then throw it in the fire. I mean, just survival instincts take over, I guess. But sounds really like Larson just kind of, you know, was like, oh, well, I am going to write a fan fiction of, you know. Pretty much. Um, and I find, like, because I've been researching a lot for all the other broad... There's very... Ra- there's very It's very rare that someone come up with a very original story. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, hey, we're going to take this and basically fanfic it mm-hmm. into something new. Yeah. So, yeah. But Larson, however... Leaves the lost hopes and dreams and lives with his show with emphasis on love, friendship, and survival. Kind of like what you said. Mm -hmm. So, since 1996, Rent has remained in the hearts of those inspired by its story, its music, and its legacy. Throughout pop culture, everyone can find some way Rent has influenced it in some way. So, like, the original stars of Rent represent some of the brightest Broadway talents. Um, So, you have, like, Tay Diggs. And then... Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp. Um, and then there's Adina Manziel, which, like, she's most, like, visible oh, yeah. Broadway people. And you can see Becca because you can't. But she's, like, putting her hands up in the air, like, praising her. She is the queen of Broadway. And she's almost a household name, I would say, at this point. Where between all the Broadway shows she's done and then not to mention Frozen. Frozen. Yeah. Frozen 2 is coming out, by the way. Which I don't know how to feel. I'm excited. I'm excited, but also scared. Well, it's another two hours of, you know, Adina Menzel. That's true. I'll take it that. I'll, we'll, we'll take it that way. Yeah. I mean, the storyline looks stupid. Yeah. I'm more, like, worried about the story, but it's yeah. Dina, it's mm-hmm. Adina, so we'll, yeah. we'll go watch it just for her. Yes. And she can, like, belt out 10,000 notes. Yes. So Mike Magazine put it this way. Think of a world which Menzel is not the original Alphaba in Wicked. Think of a world where Elsa from Frozen did not sing Let It Go. But rather, it was Demi Lovato instead. That was her second choice. But that's a world without rent because this is really where she got her stuff. And I actually found a little news segment from like opening night on Rent mm-hmm. where they're talking to Adina Menzel about 
her life and stuff. It is from the 90s, so the audio is not the greatest, but we're going to listen to it anyways. On the evening that the musical Rent opened on Broadway, the stars were off stage. On stage, there are no big names, at least not yet. I gotta get through opening night. I have I have a job to do, and I, I feel very pressured get about up. it. You know, people are paying me money to come and do what I have said for my whole life. I do very well, and now the pressure is on, and it's hard. Take me back what I am. Rent is the break 24-year-old Adina Menzel has been praying for. You know, I come from doing weddings and bar mitzvahs on the weekends as a singer, paying the rent that way. So this is like the quintessential lounge singer's dress. It's got a little, you could see, black sequence. <laughs> and how often would you have to wear this? I would wear it, well, you know, I wouldn't want to wear the same one. Sometimes I'd have four gigs in one weekend, two months. Tonight's important because it's my own music. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Idina Menzel. To get out of the wedding business, she was singing in small New York clubs. Don't go music, never once. Do you actually get paid for this? No, I, people are charged $5 at the door, but most of my friends are on the guest list because I don't charge them. So, and I, I, I do pay my musicians. He probably, I pay money, I pay money out, and I usually come out negative. So why do you do it? It's the only way to get out there and be seen. Um, so that someone will give me money to, so I can record an album, you know? And then four months ago, Edina took a job just to tide herself over. Joanne, which way to the stage? That was like the most iconic entrance of any character married. So I was like, shoot, I have no money coming in. I have no gigs. This will be a perfect little segue. Little hiatus for me. I'll be in this play. Maureen's performance. Last night, I had a dream. So a Broadway star. I just, you say that, I don't feel like a star. I just have this job with a bunch of 14 other cool, really warm people, talented people. And we're just all in this crazy little ride together. So, reactions on hearing her and be like, yo, I was just trying to, you know, survive by doing weddings and Bar singing. Bar yeah. and spending more money, you know, to get herself out there. Mm -hmm. I'm just mostly thrown by hearing how young she sounded. Like, mm -hmm. It's I'm... been 23 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a high school student, and I mean, you as, like, not like a full-fledged adult yet thanks for that oh no problem <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I i mean i can i'm sure you can like fully connect with the fact with like no money which oh, yeah is like oof, that mm -hmm. hurts um and very much connecting with that mm -hmm. but the fact that that's how she was discovered was just hey i need money so i'm just gonna go try this out yeah. and see what happens anything else on her I am so glad that you took that job. If you're listening, Adina. <laughs> if she's ever listening. If she isn't listening, please come on the podcast because we love you. Yes. And I want your autograph. Like, three copies. I have a little sister. A couple of them. Doesn't mean any of them are going to them, but... 
No, it doesn't. Yeah, I get two, and then Shelby can have one. Yeah, yeah. That worked. Yeah. So, She'll moving from one big star to another, we're going to talk about plays that have been inspired by Rent. So, p- plenty have taken inspiration from it, particularly Lin-Manuel Miranda and yes. another musical from people might have heard of, the Green Day musical, American Idiot. um and perhaps the most like clear descendant of rent is spring awakening in my opinion which wrapped a revival production of broadway in and leah michelle was in that i think so yeah and i think it's where she got her start too yeah because she played opposite jonathan groff Mm -hmm. yeah and then they went on to glee and yeah, which is and totally then, crazy that it was, you know, Spring Awakening was inspired by Rent because Adina played Leah's yeah, mom on the Glee. Show, it is like, pfft, yeah. mind blown. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the clo- the stories I think are very close linked in theme. They got a group of rebellious, free-spirited young mm-hmm. people. Then they rage out against the oppression of a system. You get them. And taken together with their rock influence scores and their big group numbers, Rent and Spring Awakening, they share a ton in common, in my opinion. Like, theatrical cousins whose parents just didn't understand them. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah. So, yeah. And we have another clip. So this clip coming up is from a more of a convention for the play If Then. And it has, like, basically a reunion with some of the actors and how Rent meant, what it meant to them and how it's affected them so many years later. So here we go. Anthony, the other the other reunion that's going on here is, of course, that all bloodlines for the show go back to Rent. Yes. And um, I call it the three M's. We've got Maureen and Mark and Michael. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to be back with these particular people and what Rent still means to you? Well, it's it's 20 years mm-hmm. now. Like we're the 20th anniversary of our first day of rehearsal of the of the off Broadway production is in December. So it's like that's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, you know, Rent to me validated so many things about what I believe theater can be and do. And the fact that it still is having this impact makes a certain kind of sense. In the sense you know, when, when you create something, I don't mean us, we, we were a part of something. When we were a part of something that Jonathan Larson created that uh, spoke to people's souls and continues to do so, that's an incredible gift that he gave, and he absolutely directly impacted Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkey's lives. He inspired them to create theater that would do that. Um, so it's just there's this full circle continuum kind of thing that I experienced being a part of it. And so it is a reunion, but it's also, it feels like, a way to continue a legacy. So it's, it's an honor. And I think as young people that we were then, it gave us a foundation, um, sort of how to really appreciate where we were and what we were doing and appreciate the moment and not get carried away by all this stuff that can happen in this business. So we always have this sort of this anchor of Jonathan and what he said in that musical and what we experienced together. And I think that we've tried to carry it with us through our lives. So. Yeah, so that's just a little bit about what that means to them all these years later. And I think that interview was from three or four years ago. Not quite sure. Don't fact check me. Uh, <laughs> but they talked about how who Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie were. And for those who don't know, they were on. They helped with this musical with Rent. But Tom Kitt has won a Pulitzer Prize 
for his hit play next to normal, which is really good if you ever get to see it. Um, and then he continues into the Broadway world today with plays like If Then from that interview. Um, and then 2017, he did he helped with the music for the SpongeBob musical. And then this past, no, 2018, 2018, he helped with the new musical Head Over Heels. So, which I haven't listened to or heard, so it may be good, it may be bad, but yeah. And then um, Brian Yorkie also worked on Next to Normal with him and then If Then as well. So, little fun facts about them and see how they incorporate. But moving on to big name, Lin Manuel Miranda, which I know I love. I know Becca loves him. He's amazing. Okay, you ready for a tough question? Mm. Do you know Lin? <sighs> Choose your favorite child. That's evil. I know. Because <laughs> I mean, they're both so uniquely talented. Like. Lynn, I love you, but you you can't sing. You can rap like a god, but the singing is a little sketch sometimes. But can Adina rap as well as he can? I mean, Adina can rap. But I'm going to have to go with Lynn on this one. Wow. I know. I, wow. I'm sorry. Unexpected. I, I'm, well, Throw me a curveball here. Wow. Well, I mean, he, he had Into the Heights. He's had... Um, you know, Hamilton, he's had Moana, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Mary Poppins. He was in it, Mary Poppins. Yeah. yeah. I'm still indifferent about that one. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't make an opinion. It, it, it was, it was, it was, it was okay. He was good in it, but I mean, the original is the original. I like it's, the original. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you talked about In the Heights, which that's a good little segue into the next part. And he, Miranda has been very vocal about how much Rent inspired both Hamilton and mm-hmm. his first Broadway show, which was In the Heights. And the former comparison isn't just a textual one, though the themes, though the themes of like rebellion, they, they reverberate through both of them. The two shows are comparable as a culture phenomenon as well. So in an interview conducted by Catherine Yucht, probably wrong, but anyways, (laughs) Miranda says, rent meant a lot to me. When I was 13 years old, I saw the movie adaptation at a school movie night in St. Paul. Uh, Minnesota, which okay, pause. What right school shows a thirteen-year-old class? I was rent. <laughs> just wondering that. Like, I honestly, I'd seen clips, but I wasn't able to watch Rent until you know I was I twenty think... years old and my mom wasn't home. Oh well, I think I was fifteen when I saw it for the mm. first time, and I was like, "Ooh, I like this." It was so good. It is good. It is still good. I mean, yeah, it um, is. You know what I mean. But still, I was like thirteen. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Out of um, school, go team. Anyways, he said it was one of the first times I had seen gay couples on screen. It was one of the f- most racially diverse films I had seen. And I became obsessed with the score and made my parents stop at a Barnes & Noble in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, on a way to our grandparents' house so I could buy the CDs and upload them to my, onto my computer when we were finally arrived, which is a hard same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the first film that made me cry and began my long, lifelong obsession with musicals. Jonathan Larson made a piece of work about himself, his friends, and the life they lead, they led, sorry, the life they led, telling their stories through music that he loved, and in turn allowed future artists to do the same on a wider scale. So it was like, mm-hmm. whoa, yeah. Which reading this, like, totally relating to mm-hmm. Lynn, be like, yo, ma, stop, I want music. Yes. <laughs> Which is a big same. Yeah. But I mean, even today, like, it's been how many years since you know the music. 1996 it's 2019 right now like 23 years yeah 
Yeah, it's there's still not that kind of LGBT representation in media. No, nope. but um, I actually have a little clip, another clip. Okay, you're gonna love me with my all my clips. Oh my goodness, um, it's from it's with Lynn talking about In the Heights and mm-hmm. Rent. I think it's okay. pretty short, if I remember. Hi, this is Lynn Manuel Miranda from In the Heights. The first musical I saw that really affected me uh, was Phantom of the Opera. And uh, at the end of the day, that that shows about a, an ugly songwriter who can't get girls to notice him. And I said, this is about me. And I sat in the third row, and I'll never forget uh, when the smoke came off that stage. And I said, well, I, I want to do that. I want to do that for the rest of my life. I was taken to rent for my 17th birthday. And that show is the reason In the Heights is here in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I'd always loved musicals, but I'd never seen a musical that took place now. And uh, I thought, oh, you can write about now. You can write about what you know. And uh, the most important thing it did was tacitly give me permission uh, to write about my own experience. So, yeah, I find it very fitting that the two plays from so Hamilton and Rent roughly 20 years apart, just became massive hits. And Rent changed Broadway how it was. It was a big, like, it was a game changer of a play. And I feel like Hamilton is that as well because we haven't really seen rap before Hamilton, really, and more edgy topics being so diverse and stuff, which we'll get more into the Hamilton episodes, which sometime will happen. But it really, both of them, I think, were game changers as far as Broadway goes. Oh, for sure. And not only that, but, like, the cultural diversity in both of the um, the productions. I mean, it's just insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, little you know, little kids like looking up and being like, "Hey, like, I I can I can do that." You know, mm-hmm. before these productions, I mean, Phantom, it's a bunch of you know white people. Yeah. For lack of better, you know. Yeah. Terms. I just I I, I love both of them. Don't make me pick a favorite. Okay, I won't. I Thank won't. you. Promise? I, I promise. Uh-huh. For now. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you. <laughs> you shouldn't. Anyways, and so going from more of the impacts of Rent on other plays, going more now to, like, the themes into it, big one slaps you right in the face is HIV and all that fun stuff that goes with that in this play. So, in order to understand the cultural impact that Rent had in the mid-1990s, one must first analyze the social setting for HIV prior to the musical's musicals release in 1996. So, a 2016 HIV World News article by Uraldo Albernez, yep, yep, <laughs> he expresses the Ray family in 1987. They started a nationwide debate after their court victory allowed their three hemophilia children to attend an elementary school but unfortunately we were forced to move that following month because their home was burned down a week after the verdict and that same year jonathan larson's four closest friends were diagnosed with hiv leaving him in a sense of helplessness towards his friends which is depicted by the character struggles in rent so you can see that the- basically larson's like hey mark you're gonna tell my story yeah and, that, and that's what I feel like was really his goal was to say, hey, I want to show the world what I'm feeling and what I know and how yeah. how, how I feel. And he couldn't express that any other way than mm-hmm. putting it down into music, into a play. So the understanding of HIV had a dramatic shift by the end of the 1980s and a start of the new decade as changes were first seen by the U.S. Congress's 
enactment of the American for Disabilities Act, or the ADA, in 1990, which prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities, including people living with HIV, which is a good thing, yes. because go equality and go not discriminating against people. <laughs> yep. Yay for basic human rights. Yay! Go team! America. America! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yet, like all other trying to get rid of discrimination, it's takes time as we can still see today mm-hmm. um the hypocrisy was still evident and exercised by the u.s government due to their immigration restrictions on people living with hiv so if you had hiv it was really hard to get into the country mm-hmm. which yeah and that forced eight international aids conference to relocate from boston to amsterdam so yeah and then suddenly in 1992 aids became the number one cause of death for u.s men aged 25 to 44 and that got some attention Mm-hmm. And then one year later in Philadelphia, the first major Hollywood film on AIDS was released, as well as successful play Angels in America, a gay Fantasia on national themes. Gay was, Fantasia. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Coincidentally, 1993 was also the year Rent had its first stage reading at the New York Theater Workshop. And by that time, it was 1994, and AIDS had worked its way around the states and become the Number one leading cause of death for all American aged 25 to 44, which is sad. Overall, it was evident that through pop culture had attempted to mainstream AIDS. It was still very misunderstood in its diagnosis and almost every aspect of it. It was still very unknown. Um, but Larson's rent attempted to break the societal barriers that have prevented individuals from fully understanding HIV and those affected by it. So he does this by establishing a diverse range of characters living with HIV, bringing to light the fact that homosexual men are far from being the only ones susceptible to AIDS. These characters include lesbian, gay, transgendered, homosexual, erotic dancers, and drug-addicted individuals. They all represent the American culture by portraying a group of misfits amidst a mainstream society that is obsessed with punctuation, commercialism, and money. The main message of the musical finds that the most important things in life are acceptance and love. Another one of Larson's intentions were to foster support and awareness toward, towards, <laughs> towards, 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 he's also a Texan folks. Oh yes. Towards the fight against AIDS, as well as making people realize it's not how long you're here, but what you do while you are here. Mm. So that's the big mm-hmm aids aspect that i found with this and how people have actually studied how this play has influenced and opened up doorways for people to see what aids is actually about i mean this this production and just all the work that was going on during this time if it i feel like people diagnosed with hiv and aids were just dehumanized honestly by their diagnosis and Mm -hmm. this production you know served to prove that hey listen these are people who have you know had lives there are people who care about them you know you have you know Mark's, you know, mom calling all the time. I mean, he doesn't have AIDS, but, you know, these these people have, you know, people outside their, you know, friend group that care about them. You know, they have parents. They, they have, have people. Yeah, they, they, they are people, you know? Yeah. So. so. Anyways, going on from there, we're going to talk about how Rent is very timeless. It is. It's very timeless. So, found an article from a critic named Charles Isherwood from the New York Times, and it really shows how much this play can impact you depending on the moment you are in your life mm-hmm. where at one moment you might not, it might just be another play, but then at a later moment it might 
be very moving to you. Mm-hmm. So I'll read you what he put. He says, when I first saw Rent, I found some of its characters flimsy and stereotyped. One of the weaknesses that bothered me a dozen years ago, the ending that finds the doomed Mimi springing back to life after appearing to expire. And today it strikes me as a flaw that Larson may have recognized but could not bring himself to correct. Hmm. The integrity of the art must have seemed a less urgent priority than the, than the dissemination of hope. The awkward affixing of a happy ending to a fundamentally tragic story was a form of prayer, a plea that life might imitate art. I probably rolled my eyes at the absurd resurrection in 1996. This time, I fought back tears. Hmm. So really seeing that time and digging more into the story and taking it as your own rather than just another story, you can see what he was actually trying to do rather than just say, hey, let's just throw a happy ending just to make it a pretty little bow. Mm -hmm. It was really a gut-wrenching, tear-jerking and it made thing. you stop and think and like actually dig into the story more. Yeah. And I think that what he said, it really truly speaks to the longevity of Rent mm-hmm. and how impactful this play has been and continues to be today. Oh, yeah. But to actually truly appreciate this piece of art, you need to know the story behind the writer. Yes. Jonathan Larson. So story Jonathan Larson time. Woo. Go team. Woo. Record scratch. Oh, yes. Jonathan Larson was born on February 4th, 1960, in White Plains, New York. Don't know where that is. Mm. Larson lived his childhood amidst drama clubs and music lessons, which, same. Um, <laughs> he played the tuba in high school and attended Adelphi University in Garden City, New York. You know, that that is proof that not all tuba players are idiots. Very true. And us two being low brass players in band, like, go whoop, low brass. Whoop. Go low brass. So, although he graduated with dreams of being an actor, Stephen Sondheim encouraged him to focus on composing. Larson was a Sondheim disciple, and his early work suggested his future success. Before his hit rant was created, Larson worked on his play, Tick, Tick, Boom. And it wasn't a big play, and it it was more like off-Broadway. I think it did get to Broadway for a little bit. Don't fact check me. That's going to be the motto of this. I'm going to Google that real quick. Okay. Yo, it's editing Brayden. We looked it up and we discovered it was only off-Broadway. Okay, back to the show. I know that Lynn has done some of his, um, Lynn, Lynn Miranda has done some of his, um, songs of the week on Twitter. I know he did his, he's done one on Tick, Tick, Boom. But Rent, it all began with a man named Billy Aronson, a behind-the-scenes figure in the musical's creation. Although detached from the project early on, it was he who brought the idea of To Larson to re-envision the classic opera and set it in the streets of contemporary New York City. So after years of hard work and hardships, Rent was ready for the previews and Larson was going to see all his hard work pay off. And at least that was the plan. Mm -hmm. And then early on the morning of January 25th, 1996, the day of the first preview was scheduled to be Jonathan Larson died of an aortic dissection believed to be caused by undiagnosed Marfan syndrome. So, Oh, wow. Sad day. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. As you can imagine, the whole crew was completely devastated. Um, and I actually found a clip of, from the actor who plays Angel on Jonathan's death. So we're going to listen to that. It's a kind of long one. Just fair warning. The day that we heard that Jonathan Larson died, 
it was one of the darkest days that I can remember ever, but also one of the most galvanizing things that could have happened to us as well. Uh, we we uh, just had our first dress rehearsal and I was nervous still. I still didn't think that I was good enough. I still didn't think that, that uh, I was getting it right. And that, the, that previous night, Jonathan said, you got it, you, you finally got it. And he was happy. That's the one thing that I remember. Jonathan was really happy and he thought, I really have something here. And we were all thrilled and thinking, okay, tomorrow is our, is our first preview. So, fantastic. I remember getting the call in the morning. Um, I believe it was Jim Nicola called me up. I turn and I grab the phone and, and I go, hey, hey what's, what's going on? I'm thinking like, um, you know, change the schedule. What's going on? What did I do wrong? Or <laughs> something, something that, that, that we need to adjust. And he told me, uh, Jonathan just died last night. And I froze. I, I, I didn't know what to say. They said, well, you know, um, we all, we're all meeting at New York Theatre Workshop and we're all going to decide what we're going to do. So we were all there and it's the first time also that, that everyone was grieving. Everyone. It wasn't just the actors or, or, or the producers, the people that were involved. I'm talking about like the whole tech crew. Everyone was devastated because we knew that we had something great and that we wanted him to see it. We decided that we were going to do the show, we were going to do the preview, but we were going to um, do it as a reading in his honor to celebrate. And so we're in the table read. There's a part where Mimi and Angel start singing to handcrafted beers made in local breweries, to yoga, to yogurt, to rice and beans and cheese. Daphne and I instinctively start to look at each other. She's at my left, uh, I'm to her right, look at each other. And she starts crawling like a cat onto the table. And I start crawling onto the, onto the table like a cat. And we start doing our full choreography. And by the end of that, uh, that number, Everybody exploded into complete full choreography. It was just wonderful. It was energy that cannot be contained. We, we decided in, uh, during intermission that we had to go full costume. Basically, we were gonna do the show. It could not be contained. We, ha we had to do it. <laughs> we finished off the show and, and, uh, um, and I remember you know, hearing that last no day but today. And then I come out and I sit down with everyone and, and after it was done, there was no applause. It was dead silent. And someone from the back said, thank you, Jonathan Larson. It, it's a special show. It, it, uh, it wasn't just a phenomenon. It wasn't just uh, a financial success. Uh, it was a political socio, socio movement, you know, uh, um, it, it, that, that changed lives and, and uh, changed theater and, and changed minds. It, it was an honor to be part of that. Just, ugh. I mean, how do you, how do you talk, like, follow up that? I don't, I don't know, like, doing the whole knowing the whole story of rent um 
just the whole thing where Angel does die in mm-hmm. the play and then working years and years and years to get where they are and then he dies night of previews is just as an actor trying to take that and put it into the play and the play just becomes real it's no longer a story it's life Mm -hmm. and just it's deep it's like he said it totally just galvanized like the whole future for rent it's for lack of better terms they have a martyr now you Mm -hmm. know but this is like larson's legacy tying it back you know to hamilton a little bit there oh yes because my favorite line from hamilton is legacy is planting seeds in a garden you never get to see Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what larson did not knowing that he was going to that's what he did and it's oh it's so like oh so Mm tear-jerking and so heart-wrenching yeah um but before he died, as the debut of Rent approached, Larson himself lived in poverty sim- similar to those endured by his character. So he went into f- full character mode there. Mm-hmm. Um, he stopped working at he stopped working at a Soho diner only two months before the play opened and dreamed of earning enough money to afford cable TV. Mm-hmm. Ten days before he died, Larson sold some of his books to get money for a movie ticket. It's both tragic and ironic that Larson never saw a ticket holder, in my opinion, to see his show. He never got to see the joy that his show has given off. And even more uncanny are the parallels between Larson's life and his characters. Mm -hmm. Many whom are still cling to the point that life, knowing that it could end at any moment. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's so deep. You talked about Tick, Tick, Boom earlier. And, I mean, that was a legit, you know, autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, so, personal opinion, Rent is his, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a more theatrical autobiography. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Cohen is John Larson wasn't meant as an autobiography the way it came off as an autobiography it's it's in it started as a way to tell his story about his friends and then became a story about him yeah which is just like poetry wow but anyways yeah let's get out of this dark and heavy yeah so let's feeling the feels yeah so we're gonna go we're taking a break and then we'll come back and we'll be all happy and cheery again. And we're back. Awesome. So, next little segment we're going to do, we're going to get away from all the sad, depressing stuff. Thank you, Jesus. And go into our favorite characters of this show, which we'll be doing on every episode. We pick a character and explain the connection you have with them and why they're your favorite. So, Rebecca. Why am got? I going first? Because you're the guest and that's just polite. Okay, well, thank you. But also kind of mean for my part because yes, of my putting you, you on the spot. Time, yeah, you have more time to think. and uh, That's obviously the reason I'm doing it. <laughs> he, he's doing this to me because I have two favorite characters. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm feeling more like Roger is my favorite. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't... He's, 
his voice is just beautiful and i'm a total sucker for a beautiful voice like just like the gravel behind it and um get him away from that just his, his character it's it's i'm not gonna use the word fun to describe him because he's an angsty sad little human he has energy in his own way it's more destructive energy yes but it's energy i mean i guess i kind of relate to that yeah positive energy is not super easy to come across yeah especially to have meaning in a play it's kind of hard to have mm-hmm. fun energy and still be deep at the same time oh yeah it's uh, that's difficult yeah i don't know i mean this is this guy with black nail polish that totally shreds on guitar and i want to learn guitar just so i can play his little riff nice yeah that two over there go for it i mean i i, I can't play guitar oh you should i i need to learn come on becca give her the game i know i'm sorry i need to learn how to read shovel clef yeah i still hear that too yeah oh well all right mm-hmm. well my favorite character is mark um shocker i know well, okay, why do you say it's Shocker? Why would you say that my favorite character is Mark? Besides the fact that I just told you before I did this. Well, dang, now I can't say that. Um, well, you, you're recording this, and he was recording that. Y'all are just nerds. Yes, that's 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 mostly why. Nerds. That, and then I feel like myself, even though I'm very a sociable person, I like taking in things a lot, mm-hmm. like he did, whereas he just kind of sits there and just observes life. Which I feel like, ooh, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I do that too at points. Not to mention just his relationship with just everyone in the cast. I feel like his character is very, like, the glue that holds them together. Mm-hmm. Because he's best friends with Roger. And, yeah, Roger and, like, Mimi would still maybe get together if they weren't, if he wasn't there. But, like, I feel like the relationship with, like, Collins wouldn't be there or at least it wouldn't be as strong without mark there wouldn't be a relationship with maureen or i mean with benji i mean it was it was it would be there yes just from old friends but joanne there wouldn't be that much relationship there but mark really ties every he connects the whole spectrum of people together so that's why he's my favorite character again go this musical because it's great I'm trying. Okay. You're trying. I'm trying. Why? Why are you trying? I'm a poor college student. Oh yeah, I mean it's on Netflix though. So. Well, I mean that, but Netflix. If just... you're hearing this and want to sponsor it, me, like go for it. It's also on uh, Amazon Prime. Also there. So hey, Amazon, hit us up. Please sponsor me. Cause we poor. Woo. Go team. Uh, <laughs> anything else on this part? Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Very bad. Shall we move on to the next segment? Yeah. So in this segment, we take, I ask this guest and then myself, we take two songs, one Broadway, one not Broadway, songs that we're really digging, that we really like, and we recommend to you because then we talk about them and why they're important. So yeah. So Becca, what is your Broadway song? My Broadway song. So it's um, Burn from the Hamilton mixtape. So, what makes a song meaningful to you? Can I blame it on a bad breakup? Is that acceptable? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Bad breakup. A long time ago. Um, you know, for lack of better wording, I thought, you know, we were, you know, solid and, you know, dude was a ho-ho. Can not, I say not, that? Not, not just a ho. A ho-ho. A ho-ho. A ho-ho. <laughs> like, bad. Um, but that aside, just the musicality in this, um, in this song is just beautiful. Uh, they take different um, women who played Eliza and they all sing on the same track. It's um, actually called the um, the first burn, and it was the um, first burn that Lin Manuel Miranda ever wrote. Um, he did, of course, you know, end up tweaking the song. If you go back and listen to it, there's a couple lines in there that aren't in the song that is on the Broadway soundtrack. Personally, I think he should have kept this one, just because there's some stingers in there which I'm not going to talk about because I want you to go listen to it and experience it for yourself. I listened to part of it with you before mm-hmm. we did, we started recording and I've never heard this before. Um, just because I haven't gotten to the mixtape. I haven't had time for it really, but it's like, Ooh, this is, this is groovy. I like it. So good. Like just the soul behind, you know, the singers and just later on about midway. Um, I want to say about midway, maybe three quarters away. One of the Eliza's hits an amazing, just impeccably beautiful notes. But I don't get out of the Broadway um, realm very often. It's an embarrassment. No, it's not. I mean, it's not. For all the listeners out there, Broadway is great. Embrace who you truly are and love it for everything it is. But also educate yourself with other forms of music so you don't go to a party and know no songs. Yeah, I guess that's a reason. Not At Rebecca Cosper. So, okay, cool. <laughs> so... With that done, what is your non-Broadway song? Okay. Hold yourselves, because this is a, an amazing song. It's called Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Tonight, I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world, I'm inside out. Okay. First off, if you haven't heard this song, it is great. It is, it is like so one of the most, like in my one of my most popular like hype songs, because of the just the tempo change in it mm-hmm. and just how it gets you going. It's right there with like "Come On Eileen" and it's oh yes, it's so good. So much so, fun. What connection do you have to the song because it is yours? So I just really love this song because as Brayden said, Eileen it's a Godiva. <laughs> it's it's a real hype song. It's super fun. Um. I work night shifts, so I have to get, you know, super, you know, super, like, hype before I go in. So I, I have a playlist, and this is, like, in there, like, four times. And this song is just wrapped full of them. Um, is it bad that I've never really paid attention to the actual lyrics besides, like, the Lady Godiva part? And then, yeah. like, just kind of jammed and not really like a ti- Like a tiger to find the laws of gravity. <laughs> right over his head. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I love music. I like to just tear apart the song. And the, the line of 200 degrees, that's why they call me Mr. Fahrenheit. I just cracked up the first time I heard that song because I'm like, that's a pun on his name. Mercury Fahrenheit, you know, mm-hmm. go team. I'm, I love pun. He's very easy to please with puns. Yes. Yes. You want a favor from her? Just tell her like 10,000 puns and then she'll be like willing to do anything you ask. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not even going to lie and say that, you know, that's not true. 
homicide. No. Back to happiness. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Broadway. They're going to try and like bribe me with puns. Now, if my inbox starts, your DMs start blowing up with puns and stuff, you can come blame me. I will. I'm going to send you screenshots and be like, this is what you did. Oh, yes. And then I'll mm-hmm. tell my viewers, hey, back off. <laughs> but no, don't back off. Just keep going. Puns, 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 puns. I was about puns. to say that, that, that sounds out of character for you. Okay. So for this week's episode, my Broadway song is opening up from Waitress. Jenna, what's the special pie today? Uh, deep shit blueberry bacon. Deep shit? Yeah, uh, dish. Deep dish. Sorry, cow. Oh, girl. The day starts like the rest we've seen. Another carbon copy of an old routine. Days keep coming. One out, one in. They keep coming. And make that coffee strong enough to chew. I don't know what I wish I had. So, for me, this song, it's just one really, it's one of my favorite opening numbers of any play, and I recently saw Waitress, and it was phenomenal. Like, the music in the play was almost better than the original Broadway recording, and I loved it. But the harmonies in this song is so tight. It's like right there. Yeah. And so good. Makes it a very fun song and just fun to listen to. And I really don't have a very personal connection to it. The song sets up the musical of what it's going to be. Trying to get out of the daily daily routine of going over and over and over again. Doing the same exact thing with nothing changing. And it really highlights each character in the song. But yeah, I love the song. It's pretty cool. That whole play is fantastic. You get a chance to see it. Go see it. It's awesome. So, yeah. And for my non-Broadway song, I chose... Okay, pre-story to this. So, anyways, I was at a Texas A&M baseball game a few weeks ago, and I heard this song for one of the players' walkout songs, and I haven't, like, I haven't, like, super analyzed the lyrics or anything, but I found it just to be a really, really groovy piece and very, just, like, you can just, like, bump to it, and it's... I, I really like it. It's De- it's Desperado by Rihanna. Desperado Sitting in a whole Monte Carlo A man is hot as hollow uh-huh. Take it easy I'm not trying to go against you Actually I'm going with you Gotta get up out of here and you and leave me but I know you won't come so anyways i really like that song it's a good one to put on in the car you can roll down the windows and just have some fun with it um but that pretty much wraps up our show thanks becca for coming on the show and being here and just having some fun with me you have anything you want to plug or anything like that is this just where i plug the okay this is me (laughs) plugging his instagram um no for real guys um he has a lot planned for y'all so um if y'all like this podcast or just want to um get to know this wacky weirdo Braden better um he has an instagram um account a facebook account and a twitter account all for this podcast podcast and i will say all of the names and where you can find everything in the credits but you're so sweet. 
I mean, I try. If Where... you could just pass it along to my mother, she thinks I'm the Antichrist. Oh, yes, I will. I, I, I will tell her how much of an amazing person you are. Yes, I want it in writing. So where can people find you? Okay, so I'm on um all of the above. My Twitter is like inactive though because I'm socially retarded. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Becca underscore Cosper. It is a private account, so if you're a weirdo, I might you know kind of just skirt around that. <laughs> um, I'm also on Facebook as Becca Cosper. So if you're not creepy, hit me up. Right. And do you have any other podcast or any other movies? songs anything else you want to plug to say hey this is good go listen to this go watch this um, there is actually um a tv show it's called umbrella academy if you like good music you need to go watch that that's actually um don't stop me now by queen songs like that are just featured in the show and they're um put in there at times that you wouldn't think the song would make sense but as you watch it and you kind of just think it makes a lot of sense and it just works really good um podcasts i mean flat earth society i need to listen to some of those if you want a good kick um, i haven't heard that one yet i'll go listen to oh, it oh they're great um can't remember the pe- name of the people who um run it um it's more of an informational one these people go in they like infiltrate different you know groups and um they did flat earth for a couple episodes and guys the, f- the earth is flat everything we know is a lie mind blown Oh Boom. yes. Oh yes. Dang. But anyways, so that pretty much wraps up what we have today. <laughs> uh, starting with rent and en- ending with flat earth. And it's a bang, guys. Oh yes. Um, Open your eyes. So thank y'all so much for listening today. Thank you, Becca, again for coming on. And until next time, guys, break a leg and vaccinate your kids. <laughs> Power of the Playbill is created, hosted, edited, and produced by Braden Hisoka. If y'all guys want to hit us up on social media, follow Power of the Playbill on Instagram and Facebook and Power OT Playbill on Twitter. If y'all guys want to see all the cool things on the website, head on over to powerofthepleybill.wixsite.com slash POTP. Thanks for listening, guys, and break a leg.